oxygen good? Artificial gravity turned back on? Well, as you can tell, I'm here in the uh, Space Force Command Center, orbiting Earth, geosynchronous orbit. And a lot, of, a lot of you don't know this. Space Force was actually formed decades ago when we found uh, alien technology. Uh, we've been using that at uh, Area 54 for well, a long time. And, of course, Space Force has, has been up and running for decades, but only recently President Trump decided to try to make it legitimate, so he announced it as if it were just starting. Not really. The truth, and I'm here to tell you, is that uh, many of us have been in Space Force for a long time. Um, I'm actually uh, an admiral. I'm an admiral in Space Force. But all of the, uh, all the people in Space Force had to take secret identities because the public wasn't supposed to know we have all this alien technology that we've been weaponizing. And so they said to me, you need a cover, some kind of cover story. And I was like, I don't know, like what kind of cover story? And they said, anything you want. And I said, well, what if it's some kind of job where I'm not even qualified? And they said, doesn't matter. You could be totally unqualified. Totally, uh, oh, you're thinking of Area 51? No, Area 54 is where they keep the good stuff. Area 51 is where they tell you the good stuff is. But if you were actually going to storm that, that area... Once you got inside, you'd see just you know cardboard cutouts and stuff, and you'd be like, I swore I thought there were aliens here. No, it's Area 54 is where the real stuff is. 51 is just a diversion. So I've been in Space Force for years. Uh, my cover story is a cartoonist. Um, weirdly enough, the fact that I, I can't draw very well didn't tip off anybody that it was just a cover story. But now you know. So I thought I'd take a few questions later after I talk about some of the news up here in space. And uh, there isn't much news, probably because it's a Super Bowl day, but I'll tell you what we got. I am absolutely amazed that CNN continues to do something that you would think just couldn't be done, which is to completely make up news based on taking a quote and a context, even when the rest of the context is publicly available and everybody's seen it. It's the weirdest thing that they can get away with it. They're no longer just reporting news that isn't true in some cases. Instead, they've, they've started conjuring reality out of nothing. So in the case of uh, Alan Dershowitz's testimony, they continue to take that one sentence out of context, where he was talking about a specific example with Lincoln, to act as though he's generalizing that to Trump, which is not what he was doing. He was making, I'm not going to go over the arguments, but let's just say that they completely make a fake argument for Dershowitz, and then C.C. Cup, in writing on CNN.com today, uh, th this is... This must be maddening for Dershowitz. <laughs> I can imagine what he's thinking. Uh, imagine, imagine seeing that your opinion, the one that you argued so well in front of the world, has been mischaracterized, and then after they mischaracterize it, 
they here's here's uh, this is so so clever and despicable. It's just funny. First, they mischaracterize him, and that's only stage one. After they've mischaracterized it into something that's ridiculous, then they say the majority of experts say his argument was ridiculous. And you know what? The majority of, of experts would say that the argument that they mischaracterized is ridiculous, at least the mischaracterization is ridiculous, but not his actual argument. To the best of my knowledge, nobody in the world has actually argued with him. Well, I can see in the comments that there's something you're missing. Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it bother you? Your addiction is now so deep that you need the simultaneous sip, and all you need for that is a cup or a mug or a glass of tanker, chalice or stein, a canteen flight, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything better, the, the simultaneous sip. Go. Oh, yeah. And all you need is an SE cup, as somebody said in the in the comments. So what did I call her? CC cup? <laughs> I think I called her CC cup, not SC cup, which is funnier, much funnier. All right. So what does it mean when CNN can make news and the stuff that you could just look, anybody can look and see it's made up? All you'd have to do is listen to Dershowitz explain how they're mischaracterizing his opinion. You could look at what he said originally. It's easy to, it's so easy to know that it's completely made up, just like the the Charlottesville fine fine people thing. But man, this morning I got into it with somebody who alleges to be an MIT professor. Now this is interesting because I don't think you can be an MIT professor unless you're pretty, pretty smart, wouldn't you say? And um, so this professor apparently has never watched any, I'm just guessing, never watched any news source other than the ones that present the fake news. So at first, this professor thought, oh, this quote from Dershowitz is actually accurate, but it's taken out of context. It had to do with one example about Lincoln, was not a general comment. So, and he was, so I argued with him a little bit because I was curious how could somebody that smart be so easily fooled? And it turns out that it's, it's really obvious in the context that he'd never heard the other arguments. Think about that. Imagine, imagine if you were watching this whole you know, impeachment stuff or even just the whole Trump administration. Imagine if you had never seen the alternative arguments. You'd only watch CNN you'd probably think it was true, right? You'd probably think that the way they characterized Trump and his comments and stuff is actually accurate. So I felt sorry for him. All right, there's a rumor that, a continuing rumor, that this is a new one. Instead of Hillary saying that she wants to be president, the rumor is, speculation really, more than rumor, that she would potentially agree to be Hillary's vice president. Uh, I'm sorry, that Hillary would agree to be Biden's vice president. Now, I'm going to say 
not. Now, here's the thinking, and then I'll tell you why it's cray-cray. The thinking is that Hillary so wants to be Trump that she would take the vice president position and then bring the entire Clinton machine to bear, and that would be enough, you know, Biden plus, plus Hillary Clinton. And maybe it would. Uh, I'm not even saying that wouldn't be a strong package. It would probably be a pretty strong package. And people, and the speculation goes that she might want to do that because being the first woman who's vice president is still breaking a, breaking a barrier, so she would own that. Um, here's what I think. And she's already said that she's not going to run for president. I don't think she would say that directly, unless she meant it. And, of course, the play would be that she wouldn't bother running for vice president unless she thought she could run the show from there or she thought that Biden was going to fade fairly quickly and she would just have the top spot because of constitutional order. Here's why that's not going to happen. This is my prediction. I don't believe that Hillary Clinton, from a psychological perspective, from an ego perspective, I predict that she could not accept running for the second spot. Uh, I just, I don't imagine it. I also imagine that she's enjoyed not being in government these past years. It's hard to be that age and be sort of retired and enjoying yourself, even though you're giving speeches. It's all just stuff you want to do, and it's just fun, and you don't really need the money. And I think she's just enjoying herself. So the first factor is, it's kind of hard to get back in the game after you've been out of it for a while and you're that age. Secondly, Hillary does not solve Biden's problem. What's Biden's biggest problem? He's old. He has said himself that he's going to pick somebody young for his vice president. I think he means it. I think he would not pick somebody who would be in their 70s uh, if elected if what he's trying to show is that, well, I've got a backup plan because I'm too old. So it doesn't make sense, and it wouldn't get the, uh, the, uh, the minority vote necessarily, although, you know, Clinton did get a lot, so it wouldn't be terrible in that way, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't satisfy the having a person of color on the ticket. So I say that Hillary is very unlikely to take a second position, and here's the last reason why. Imagine if she lost. Imagine how much it hurt to lose to Trump. But imagine if she lost twice. Think of that. What if she lost twice? That, that would be devastating. I don't know that she would put herself in that position. All right, let's talk about the uh, coronavirus. I have a... Um, very controversial, provocative thought. I like to say in advance, there's nothing racist about this. At least nothing intended that way. So if you misinterpret it that way, that's on you. And here's the thought. There, apparently there is now the first report of somebody dying outside of China from the coronavirus. And the first thing I looked for and it was easy to find, is that the first person who died outside of China 
was ethnically Chinese. And here's the question. I'm just going to put it as a question right now. Has anybody who is not ethnically Chinese died from the virus yet? I know people have gotten it, and I'm sure that would include people who are not ethnically Chinese. But I kind of need to know that fact before I feel I have a full opinion about what's going on here. Now, I've heard, and I don't know, I don't know if this is you know, completely true or sometimes true or it depends on the situation, but I have heard that there, there can be different viruses that might affect different ethnicities differently. That's not, don't take that as a fact. Take that as a something I heard. But, yeah, most of the people dying are going to be um, compromised or older, which is sort of the same thing. Uh, but I'm just going to ask the question. Is anybody, is anybody going to die who's not ethnically Chinese? Because remember one of the mysteries that I've been hammering on? The mystery was, why was the United States not as concerned as we thought they should be, meaning our government. Why was our government not that concerned compared to how concerned we were pretty sure they should have been? And now apparently they're making the right move and and banning travel for a few weeks anyway from China. So at least our government caught up and got with the program. Why do you think it could have been slow? Why do you think the United States government is still saying it's a low risk for our country? Is it possible, just speculation, is it possible they know that it doesn't transmit as well um, outside of an ethnic group? Now, I'm just going to put that out there because some of the conversation is about uh, whether or not there's something unique about this virus. You know, could it be man-made? Could it be weaponized, etc.? Apparently, there's no evidence of that. So the rumors you've seen about it being escaped from, you know, a bio lab or something. Uh, apparently, there's no evidence of that. But let's keep watching. There's uh, maybe it's me, but there's something about the whole situation that just doesn't smell right. Beyond the fact that it's an obvious, you know, big problem. There's something about it. I don't know what it is. You can smell it before you can see it. Let's uh, in a related story that you would not think is related, but it is. So the U.S. has banned six more countries from being able to enter the United States or get or be part of the green card lottery, as it's known. So those countries are Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, Nigeria, Tanzania, Sudan, Myanmar, 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 literally the first time I've ever said that word, Myanmar, Myanmar. I've read it many times. Literally never said it. Uh, all right. So here's why this story about immigration and the coronavirus story are actually the same story. Because what is the difference between an idea virus and a physical one? So the reason for banning uh, immigration from these you know, so-called banned countries is that um, these are places that we imagine um, bad people could be in the mix and we wouldn't be able to tell if they're bad people. It's exactly the same as a plane load of people coming in from China. 
you know, regardless of where, where they're born or what nationality or ethnicity they are, it's a plain load of people that we can't tell who might be infected with the virus and who can't. So how do you treat it if there's a big potential risk and you can't tell who's innocent and who's not? Well, if it's a virus, you quarantine and you temporarily block until you can figure out what's going on, get a handle on it. <clears throat> if it's um, the idea virus of being a terrorist, it's exactly the same in effect. The effect of it is exactly the same. It's a big population. Most of them, you assume, are fine, just like with the virus. Plain load of people come in from China. Almost all of them are going to be free of the, the virus, but you don't know which ones. So why is the medical situation so different from the idea virus situation when they both have those same qualities? Now, I don't like to argue from analogies, but I, I'm not even sure this is much of an analogy. It's so exact in terms of how you would handle it. And now the fact that the United States is handling those two situations roughly similar. In other words, we're, we're doing something bad for 99% of the people so we can stop that 1%. And here's my point. I believe that it's going to be much easier for the administration to get away with these um, travel bans from the various countries, you know, the, the ones that we think have some terrorist risk, it's going to be a lot easier for that to be accepted by the public because the public thinks in terms of analogies. The public thinks in terms of stories and precedents and past examples and patterns. And since this pattern is being formed with the coronavirus, that pattern is going to um, you know, accidentally spill over into immigration. And here's my prediction. The... The outcry over um, being tougher on immigration is going to be substantially reduced because people watched the coronavirus situation and because they, they agreed that you had to be bad to all the innocent people to stop that 1%. Once you've agreed that that's okay to be bad to 99% of the people just to stop the 1%, then it's still okay. It, it generalizes at least in people's minds. You, know, you could argue they're not the same, so you treat them differently. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, disagree with you on the, the details, but people's minds are going to treat them as the same. So that's about all that's going on right now. I'm going to take some questions. Looks like some people are lining up to ask me some questions. Let's do them in no particular order. Cheryl, you're... You're coming at me, Cheryl. Cheryl, do, do you have a question? Cheryl. Cheryl did not have a question. Cheryl went away. So I'm going to pick Lina. Lina, can you hear me? Hello, Lina, do you have a question? You're live. I am live. But I'm not Cheryl. Uh, I said Lina. Lina. Do you have a question? Can, yeah, yes. Can you tell me more about how this all the coronavirus? Um, 
Yes. Can you tell me how that all relates to this anti-vaccine? Oh, so the question is, how does the coronavirus relate to the vaccination and anti-vaccination? I'm not sure that um, we should make too much of that. Um, I appreciate the argument that says if you're going to be cautious about uh, one thing, you should be cautious about another. So I think, you know, there's a little bit there to make a political argument, but I think you could ignore one when you're working on the other. So I, I would just treat them as separate. They're, there's a little bit in common, but not enough to make something of it. That's, that's what I'd say. Thank you for the question. Got a bad connection there. Anyway, let's see if we get a better connection from Aris. So Aris, come at me, Aris, with your question. Aris? Hello, Aris. Do you have a question for me? Sales pitch, if you, uh, if, uh, you want to let me do that real quick. Mm, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> tell, tell me what you were going to sell, and I'll tell you if I want the pitch. Um, I was going to make the argument that capitalism's already dead, because I have some friends that uh, they're more socialist on the socialist side or outright communists. Um, and I want to get this into a sales pitch form to kind of convince people to kind of drop that a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I don't think the audience is ready for that, but let, I, let me engage on that topic. I have a theory, hypothesis really, that the people who are pushing you know, the, the deep socialism that borders on communism and the anarchy and stuff like that, I feel like they're treating it more like a lifestyle and more like theater. And, right. that if, and that if you actually sat anybody down with no witnesses and say, oh, look, look, Bob, you know, I hear what you're saying. I get it. You like to march and stuff. You hate the president. I get it. But do you really think this system would work for the country? I don't think anybody really thinks it. So it feels not real. I, don't, is, I have a hard time taking it seriously. And, and I'm pretty sure that the, um, the serious people in the government don't take it seriously either. Now, I suppose we could get caught off guard. It could be that there's a whole generation that's brainwashed to the degree that they don't know it's not serious and that right. they've, they've bought into it. So there is risk. Um, but uh, anyway, th- thanks for bringing up that point. I, w- I want to hear a little bit more questions yeah. so that we, can, we okay. can hear more from me. Thank you. All right. So the, the reason uh, I didn't want to do that is I know most of you are watching these periscopes because you want to hear more from me. And wherever that's the case. Cassandra, are you there? Good morning. Do you have a question for me? Tell you how much I love you and our simultaneous sips in the morning and how much I appreciate you. <laughs> well, 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 thank you. Thank, thanks for telling me. I appreciate all of you, too. And uh, I, I'll, I'm going to take your question now, Cassandra, but thank you for that. Have the best day. You, too. All right. Let's get some questions here. Be provocative. Come on. Give me a hard time. Joshua, I know you can do it. Joshua, do you have a question for me? Uh, Yes. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. What's your question? Yeah, so can you talk, um, you know, as I'm reading the books, I've read all your your recent, recent books that you've and can you just tell me which one has been your, your favorite and which one you would 
speaking for um, my take as a grown up to read? Well, yeah, so which of my books is my, my favorite? And that would depend, you know, what, what aspects of it you're going to talk about. But my book, Had It Failed Almost Everything and Still Win Big, I hear from people. I, I, I've been wondering how to even tell this story in public. And I think I can start to tell it now because there are enough people who would back me on it that it doesn't sound crazy. Every day I hear from people who read that book sometimes a few years ago and tell me that it's changed their lives. I've heard people losing 80 pounds, people uh, getting off of opioids. I've heard people getting huge raises, changing their social life around, going from depressed to happy. I mean, ridiculous stuff, really. I mean, such kinds of improvements that it's a little bit mind-boggling and I don't even know how to process it. It's, it's more than I would have ever imagined. Now, why I like that, um, not just because people are having great experiences by it, but I wrote it for that purpose. Um, and there was, a, there was sort of a deeper purpose on top of that. I mean, it was meant for anybody to read to, to improve their life, and it appears to be working very well for that. But it was written specifically for my, at the time, 14-year-old stepson as, as a way to capture everything I knew in a friendly form that I thought I could get him to read. He did not finish that book before he, he died of a uh, fentanyl overdose. But um, it was written for him for a very special purpose. So I, had, I guess I had more of my heart and soul into that book because even though I was writing it for the public, it's, it's often the case that you write a book for one audience, an audience of one, with, with the assumption that that is generalizable. And it was written for that one person, my stepson, and he's not with us anymore. So when I, hear, when I hear other people whose lives have been changed, it gives meaning. It gives meaning to um, the effort, gives meaning to my stepson's life, because I'm not sure I would have written it the same or maybe as well. If, if I hadn't been writing it for, you know, somebody that I cared about that much. So uh, that one's the most meaningful for me. And if you were going to um, uh, sort of looking for a starting point for my books that are non-Dilbert books, that's, that's where I would go. Yeah, that's so, the one that I read as I started my real estate career, and it's made a big difference. So thank you for that. Okay, so, and yeah, you're another example. A lot of people telling me that the uh, talent stack idea and the systems over goals are just life-changing concepts. Absolutely. And that's what I was hoping. Thank you so much for your question. Thank you. All right. Yeah, the reason, the reason I have trouble talking about it is that it, it doesn't sound believable. If you actually saw the types of messages I'm getting, they don't translate. If I, if I simply told you what people are telling me, you, I don't think you'd believe it because they, they're so r- ridiculously um, you know, transformational. You know, people have, have changed in very fundamental ways. All right, uh, caller, can you hear me? Hey, do you have a question for me? Any like tips about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm an expert. <laughs> uh, I, I've been divorced once. So um, I would give you these tips. You, you've probably, at some point, you could correct me if I'm wrong, talked yourself into the fact that you could never be happy <laughs> you know, again because you, know, you found that one love and it didn't work out and how can you move on? And um, I would give you this one advice. 
I don't know anybody over my entire life. I've never met anybody who got a divorce. And then five years after the divorce said, you know, I wish I hadn't gotten that divorce. I've never heard of it. Not a single time. By the time people make this change, it's time for the change. Because it's so hard. Getting the divorce is so much work. It's so much pain that nobody does it until they're ready. And um, I'm going to guess you're ready. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually kind of enjoying yeah. the process. <laughs> yeah, enjoying the process. I, I can tell you that the first year after being married, when um, I could wake up and do anything I wanted, just anything I wanted, as long as it was legal, uh, was an amazing feeling. And I enjoyed it. But you also get to the point where you need something. You need something more substantial. You know, it's, it's sort of like, hey, you know, you're off your diet. You can eat all the junk food you want. And so for a couple of weeks, you're gorging on junk food. But eventually you say, you know, this isn't the way I want to live my whole life. Some people might, but it wasn't, wasn't fulfilling to me. So I'm, I'm engaged again and I'm very happy about it. So good luck to you. I, I think your, your, your future life looks better than your past. Right, well, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. Take care. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, I, it's funny. I look at your faces and your before I choose somebody. <laughs> I'm trying to pick somebody who will challenge me the most. And let me see if I picked correctly. Hello, caller. Can you hear me? Can you Hi. hear me? Yes. Hi, this uh, is Damon. I'm, I'm calling you from Denmark. Hi, Damon from Denmark. Do you have a question for me? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on this uh, whole virus and it being a bioweapon and uh, having patents on it and all that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to know uh, what are your thoughts on it? Is it something politics or something? Well, you're talking about the coronavirus? Coronavirus, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no evidence uh, that I've seen, in the news yeah. anyway, that it's a bioweapon. But there is just something about this. You know, there's, there are all kinds of things that make this a little different. One is that um, it seems to be affecting people in China more than here, but it's too early to say that's real versus it's just early in the process. Secondly, um, the rate of growth looks unnatural, meaning that you know, you'd expect a bioengineered virus to be you know more viral than something else because you would make it that way so it's it's so extreme and it probably is way worse in china than is being reported i think almost certainly we can say that that just the extent of it, it is concerning you know because we know we could make such a thing but it doesn't make sense that china would make a weapon and use it against itself I can't really see some other country, you know, trying to infect China in this way. I mean, we do some bad stuff to each other. The the theory that um, I like, not no, like is the wrong word, because it would be terrible. Let, let me let me take back like the theory that, uh, and this would just be a conspiracy theory. You know, we've talked about how the fentanyl coming from China is revenge for the, opio, the opium wars. A lot of people say that. So you can imagine, again, this is just, this, I'm just 
Um, none of this has any evidence, right? So nothing I say next should be taken too seriously. But could there be somebody who knew how to make a virus who had a family member die of fentanyl? Just put, put that out there. What are the odds that given, I don't know, 50,000 Americans and who knows how many from Europe or whatever, maybe in China too, how, how many people have died from illegal fentanyl that came from China? Just a question. With all those people, was there even one person who was a surviving, let's say, family member of all those people who were killed by Chinese fentanyl? Was there even one of those people who knew how to make a virus that would kill mostly ethnic Chinese people? I hope not. I certainly don't want to live in a world where that happened, but you can't rule it out. You can't rule it out. You know, 50,000 people would touch a population of, I don't know, maybe a million people would be a family member of those people who died. If, if you count, it's 50,000 a year, so that adds up pretty quickly. Probably at least a million people. And of a million people, is there not one of them who is willing to engineer a virus and drop it off in China? Probably not. You know, if I had to bet on it, I would very easily bet that it did not happen. It's just an ordinary virus like every other, every other one. But because of the crazy way the world is, you have to ask yourself that question. You can't rule it out on the surface. Now, of course, I don't know how hard it would be to bioengineer a virus like that. So maybe it's so hard that that's a ridiculous theory. Um, but I'll put it out there. Anyway, that's all I got to say on that. I don't think we're going to find out it's any kind of bio, bioengineered weapon. But it's terrible that we can't rule it out. Exactly. All right, all Scott. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. And right, just, just, just one thing to note. In Denmark, there's been, as far as I have heard, there's been two cases of the virus, uh, but it's still no China ban. And that's kind of weird. I just want every country to ban, you know, China or, or the flights until we know what's going on. But well, nothing's happening it, here. It, it seems like an enormous political risk because every leader that does not do a ban has to answer why the other countries did. And if the countries that did the ban have a, you know, a measurably better outcome than the people who didn't, I don't know how those leaders keep their jobs. I really don't. I, to, to me, that would be a lose-your-job decision because you're seeing the other people doing it the right way. And I would have said the same thing about Trump. I think he was way too slow on this, but if he hadn't done it at all, you'd have to ask yourself if he's your president for the next cycle. Anyway, thanks, Damon. All right. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. All right, let's take some more. Oh, do, 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 do. Barry looks like he's got something to say. Barry? Barry, can you hear me? Hey, hey what's your question, Barry? question about loser think um in the book you say there's about a dozen opinion shapers in in the country uh, uh six on either side um you revealed on twitter that zucker is probably one on the left can you talk about who the opinion shapers are well i it's a it was more of a conceptual point and it's based on observation and you know one of the things that that happens when you start dealing in politics and you become, uh, let's say, somewhat notorious, as has happened to me in the last few years, is you start learning things about the nature of reality 
that are very disturbing and can't be communicated. <laughs> they actually can't be communicated. Mm. So there are mm. things I know that I just can't tell you. And, and I know they're true. I mean, they're, they are by their nature something you can determine to be true independently and you don't have to wonder about it. But uh, the, the, the real way the world works is that there are just some people who determine what the news is. And then within politics, a few people who determine who's going to run, who gets what money, et cetera. Now, there are lots of people who are playing in that game, you know, hundreds and hundreds and you know, thousands. But I believe that the ones who are best at it and the ones who have the positions where they have the most influence, like uh, you know, Jeff Zucker at CNN, he can literally determine what CNN considers the news that day. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was talking earlier in the Periscope, uh, they've decided that their news will be to misinterpret what Alan Dershowitz said so they can continue uh, the fake news that the impeachment was illegitimate, etc. And um, probably somebody at the New York Times has that power. Probably one or two people at MSNBC. And you very, and, and then of course Washington Post. So you very quickly. Um, after the first, you know, five or six media outlets, you get down to people who are just not that important. You know, once you're down to, you know, the, the third or fourth level of uh, news outlet, they're not news makers. The, the, the firms like CNN and uh, New York Times and Washington Post are considered the, the ones who decide what the others cover. So, yeah, only, there are about six on each side. Now, Trump, of course, is... is you know, one of the people who just is shaping reality. And they're probably, I don't know, I couldn't name them, but there are probably half a dozen people who advise him or have some influence on the process. Um, you know, somebody at Fox News, obviously, etc. So, yeah, something like 12 people are the ones who have the most influence over everything. Not the only influence, but by far the 80-20 influence. Does that answer your question? Oh, you went away. I lost him. Uh, all right. Let's look at... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take Carl. Carl, can you hear me? Carl? Carl? Hi, do you have a question for me, Carl? At one time you said the slaughter meter was at 0% that Trump would win because of the media... I never heard you explain why you took it back to 100% the other direction. I don't remember uh, what I was saying when I said it was 0%. Uh, I don't remember the, the context media, the of that. Was, the media was going to kill him. They decided all the media and all the social networks were against him, and he had no chance to beat all that. You were saying that for a while. Mm, that doesn't even sound like something I've said, so I can't speak to that. But I'll tell you what the current slaughter meter is at. Um, I, I think it's over 100%. You know, sometimes I jokingly say it's 400% or whatever. But I can't see a scenario where he loses because um, we're, the illusion is that the Democrats have an idea of an ideal candidate, which might have a name. You know, they might say my ideal candidate is Bernie or Biden or whatever. But they have sort of an idealized version of their team. Trump hasn't even started as soon as Trump has one individual target, and more importantly, all of the opposition research has one target, and uh, it's going to be a bloodbath. I, I think Trump, 
is is going to just destroy whoever it is. Now, at the moment, he's laying down suppressive fire. He, he's sort of hitting everybody who does well in the polls. So he's going after uh, what he calls Mini Mike Bloomberg now, who, has, as Trump said at his uh, rally, I've had it up to here <laughs> with him. <laughs> so apparently he's going after mostly his height. Now, if I, if somebody had said this 10 years ago, that a politician is going to strictly focus on his opponent's height, you'd say, you'd say well, he's not going to win with that. But we did watch him take out the entire Bush dynasty with one word or two, low energy. So could the height thing work against Bloomberg? It might, but you won't know because he's gaining in the polls because he's spending a lot of money. So you don't know if he would have done even better if not for Trump's attacks, that we'll never know. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't see, I just don't see anybody in the race giving him a serious competition. So 100% plus. Thanks, Thanks for the question. All right, let's take Nancy. Nancy looks like she's enjoyed a simultaneous sip or two. Nancy, do you have a question for me? Nancy, do you have your mute on, your phone? Because I can't hear you. Nancy, we're going to move on. You missed your chance. Let's try. Let's try. Facts are safe. Facts are safe. Can you hear me? Do you have a question for me? All right. So I've learned from the master, obviously. But I want to know, when in Trump's second term do we seriously start talking about repealing the 22nd Amendment? Remind me what the 22nd Amendment is. Term limits for presidents. Uh, we're never going to talk seriously about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I could easily see Trump supporters and even Trump himself uh, r- running that as a four-year practical joke. Because it would be a practical joke. Because at least half the country would believe it's true. But I've never met. Have you? Have you ever met any even one Republican or one Trump supporter? Have you met even one who would seriously be okay with him staying beyond two limits? What? No what's one. Gonna, right? What's going to happen to CNN's business model yeah. afterwards? But, <laughs> no, but, no, but, no, but seriously, answer me the question. Have you met even one? Who would seriously want that? Like, it's a joke, but anybody really wants that? I don't think so. I doubt it. You know, for, if, if for no other reason, he'd be too old. All right, but thanks for the question. All right. Um, let's go with... Uh, let's go with Perry. What's your name, Perry? Perry, are you there? Perry. Hi. Do you have a question for me? I'm wondering why in the trial, the president's attorneys never brought up the fact that, you know, first of all, that Obama administration spied on a candidate because the FISA court already had come out and said that two of the four applications are invalid. But what's, so, that, got, what's that got to do with uh, the Ukraine what, situation? Well, that's what I was going to say, too. I mean, I know it kind of sounds like whataboutism, but it, it sounds like even even the president's attorneys are, are, are 
what what's that term past the sale where they're just assuming Russia even meddled there still isn't a shred of evidence in the Mueller report or anywhere that Russia even meddled no that's not true that's not true what? you're you apparently have been stuck in a uh, a news silo it is it is not true that there's no evidence of Russian meddling because the uh, now I'm not saying the evidence is accurate. I'm just saying that there's plenty of evidence that their uh, troll farm was was doing something extraordinarily trivial, oh. but is but but they seem to know. And then beyond that, there's a question of the the hacker who got the emails. And so far, the government seems to be unified in saying that those were Russian hackers. So much so that they know the names of the organization and the people who are involved, and they have details. Now, I don't know that you could say those have to be true, but it is an absolute false statement to say there's no evidence of Russia interfering in the election because those two pieces of evidence are the official government positions. So it could be not true, but there's certainly evidence. Right. It wasn't the Russian government that did the ads. And then as far as the hacking goes they didn't give us any any evidence of they they're just telling us basically well there's there's an assumption with the ads that the guy who owns the troll farm is a good buddy with putin so that part we know so the odds that he would do this without putin's support seems low which is which is the thinking now i happen to think that's not necessarily the case meaning if you're a troll farm you probably take contracts from whoever is going to pay you, right? So if the manager of the troll farm got a contract and said, hey, can you make, it doesn't matter who it came from, can you make a bunch of fake ads and, and, and do this, they'd probably just say yes because it's just a job. But so even- I'm, I'm not positive that the troll farm was coordinating with Putin, but they're Russian and they are associated yeah. with an oligarch and you'd have to say that the oligarchs are part of the government effectively, even though not officially, effectively they are. So, you know, I, I can see the validity of the, of the accusation. Well, a judge actually ruled that Mueller was not allowed to say that they were um, associated with the government because there is no evidence. He wasn't right. permitted to even say there, that. That's right. There's no direct evidence. But the, the argument is still strong that we know the person who owned it is connected to him. Yeah, I, I have my suspicions about that as well. So yeah, I, th- I, th- I think... I think they probably just didn't want to bring the Mueller stuff in there too much. It was just a distraction and okay. it wasn't directly on point, I think. Everyone but, <clears throat> watched Ukraine Revealed by Oliver Stone. Amazing film that'll teach us all a lot. Hmm. On I'll take a look at that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's take uh, another question or so. Michael? Michael Cantor? Come at me, Michael. Um, our technology did not work, fail, or Michael went away. Let's talk to Doc. Doc Wilson, are you there? Doc Wilson went away. Maybe it's maybe it's Periscope itself. Could be that these people didn't really want to talk to me. That's the other possibility. Uh, let's do Jordan. I'm intentionally picking uh, men with beards. Jordan, are you there? Do you have a question for me? Star dating girl. She is a 
moderate, uh, so she voted for Romney. He's, he's got, can, you, can you turn down? You, I think you've got some volume up on something, so I'm getting some feedback. Is that better? That's better. Now, you, you're dating a girl, and? So she's a moderate, so she voted for Romney instead of Obama, but she, uh, she has a thing against Trump, so she considers Trump uh, negative for women. So I'm really wanting good persuasion advice to go ahead and try to sway her. Protection. So you should go with the protection persuasion. Uh, if you were a woman, imagine going outside and every time you walk outside, no matter where you are, you walk outside and you're basically in danger because um, men are dangerous to women in a way that they're not exactly dangerous to other men. So I don't live in that world because I don't ever – I'm never afraid anywhere I go, just period, because if you're a man, it just doesn't come up that often. But women are in a perpetual um, worried about security and about physical safety, and they have to be. It makes perfect sense. So that's, that's probably the most base thing you could do. So you, if you make the argument that Trump is all about that, which he is, He's all about uh, military being so big that nobody will mess with us. He doesn't want to start a war. He'd rather finish them. He'd rather kill the terrorists so the terrorists doesn't come here. He'd rather be strong on crime, etc. So there's probably nothing that women need more than to know that um, the government and society is going to protect them. I would go with protection. And, and I would... Uh, I would contrast that, since she's not going to have a choice of voting for Romney, for example, contrast that with what any of the progressives will offer, which is really risky. It's risky for the economy, which can be you know, more dangerous for women. And it's risky for security, because he would probably you know, open the borders and reduce the size of the military. So I would go for the danger element. And I think that's real. There's nothing... Uh, I would consider that uh, such a perfectly valid point that you would never be worried about you know, being disingenuous. So that's the way I'd go. I'd go with risky and dangerous, and, and Trump, before people thought he might be risky and dangerous, but now we have some track record. He's, uh, he's put the economy where he needed it, got his trade deals. Um, and, and I was going to mention earlier... What does the public think about the fact that it's been a few years now that we've had these bans on the, on the countries that we can't uh, vet the terrorists? We haven't really had a major terrorist attack in this country. Now, yeah. those are not necessarily related. Not, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. But in people's minds, they're going to say, okay, I really hated it because he was going to do something more extreme than I thought was prudent. But I got to say... It looks like something's working, you know, whether it's that alone or that plus other things. So I think in people's minds, it's going to look, it's going to look better as time goes on. So that's my best answer. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Scott. Have a nice day. You too. All right. Let's take another one. Christy. Christy, do you have a question for me? Christy is not there. I will find somebody who is there. Matt Cannon. What a name. I'd like my last name to be Cannon, too. Matt, can you hear me? Do you have a question for me, Matt? I do. And first of all, I just want to say your simultaneous sip is pretty crazy. 
Um, the other day I was in a meeting and I got out around 10 o'clock and I was trying to get away to get the sip and I missed it. And then today you purposely, I think, made the sip go a little bit later. So I thought that was pretty slick of you to do that. <laughs> yeah, do you I, know I don't that, know if that uh, was direct or if it was on accident. Well, that that was a little bit of an accident today because I was I was doing the weightless thing in the beginning, but the uh, um, the science says that addiction is caused by uh, unpredictable rewards. So if you knew that the simultaneous sip would happen every day for sure, it would be less addictive than if you have some scares or you miss one, you know that that sort of thing. So anyway, what, what was your question? My question is, I was going to first ask a shoe on the other foot test question about Alan Dershowitz, but I figure since today is Groundhog Day and it's a palindrome, do you have any thoughts on that, that today is 0202-2020, which is the same forward and backward, <laughs> as well as being Groundhog Day? Well, and, I'm, and we're I'm, in a simulation with you, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm generally oblivious to uh, random digital coincidences. So I don't have a comment about that uh, other than we humans love to find patterns even when there's nothing interesting there. But uh, so, no, not much to say about that. But thanks for the question. All right, let's find another one. Um, let's talk to... <laughs> uh, some of you have very funny names. I'm going to go to... Oops, Bob. I think Bob wants to ask me a question. Bob, are you there? Bob, do you have a question for me? I can. Go ahead. I've read all your books, uh, and I love them. That's not a question. But my question to you is, what books do you read for entertainment? Or what periodicals, or, or what, more generally, what do you read for entertainment? Oh, you know, it's embarrassing to say, but there have been years in my life where I've written more books than I've read. And that's literally true. I've, that's you know, sometimes, <laughs> I've sometimes published two or three books in a year and, and, and read one. Um, part of it is that my attention span has reduced, just as most of you have because of modern life. So reading a whole book uh, is hard for me. And... Um, I also have a physical difficulty reading books, which is that I fall asleep. <laughs> um, if I read, when I read on the plane, I'm not good for more than four pages, and I'm sound asleep. And it doesn't matter what the book is, doesn't matter how interesting, four pages and I fall asleep. Now, I think the problem is, if I had to guess, I'm, I'm visual and I like lots of, lots of inputs, and even though I'm a very fast reader, literally studied speed reading, I mean, I can read very quickly, but I can't read nearly as quickly as I think. So when I'm reading, I feel like I'm in mental jail because my, my desire for input is so much greater than the amount I can get by reading that um, I feel just deprived and I'm just starved of intellectual you know, excitement. So, and I just fall asleep. I just fall asleep. So for me, reading a whole book is hard. But uh, the alternative is that I read a tremendous amount of stuff, mostly online. But I do, you know, I do a quick dip. I'll see an article and I'll say, oh, that's something I didn't know about, let's say, how viruses spread. And I'll, I'll jump through that article, pick out the few points, and then move on to the next one. So I can get, I can get these mini lessons 
from news articles and you know articles about topics and googling stuff and but if you read a whole book i hate to say it but not every book is filled with winning pages but if i'm picking on the internet what to read i get a winner almost every time because you can kind of tell right away if it's something that you'll find interesting so that's my answer i don't read a lot of books um, but the ones that have influenced me the most are, uh, ironically, one is named Influence, um, Thinking Fast and Small. You know, those kinds of books are, are, are transformational. So I hope that was a partial answer. I, I'm just not the one to recommend books. But if you want to read about persuasion, Google Persuasion Reading List, and you'll see the list of books that I All right, let's take one more. Let's make it good. I need the best question asker of all times. And it's going to be Rike. Rike. Can you hear me, Rike? Do you have a question? Yes, I can hear you. Good. What's your question? Um, I wanted to ask you about Latin America and the Americas, right? So regionally, the, the area around the United States, which I believe has been um, put on the back burner for way too long. Um, I know that China is very important and everything, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot happening on this side of the world and it's actually affecting us in terms just of the border of fentanyl, right? Right. And also, when it comes to the um, maybe Iranian influence in Venezuela, Cuba's influence around the region, what can yeah. we do? How can we persuade people, etc.? Yeah, you know, I would say I'm not uh, an expert on anything south of our border, but I, I've had the same feeling that you have, which is that it would be in our best natural national interest to make sure that our closest neighbors are doing as well as possible and there's you know less crime and cartels and stuff. Um, so it does feel like our resources have been in the wrong place. Now, there was a reason for that, because we needed oil. But now that we, we're um, not dependent on Middle East oil, the I would say the natural uh, arc of history is that we'll move out of there. And I think we're going to end up getting more interested in things south of the border, but uh, maybe that's wishful thinking. So, I, But I agree with you. We we should be working more directly on improving things south of the border for our own self-interest. That's, that's where our greatest interest is. Thanks for the question. No problem. Thank you. All right. I think I've done it all for today. Um, I hope you're going to enjoy the Super Bowl, and uh, I'll be maybe dipping into that a little bit and watching it. And thanks for watching, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.